Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Let's Talk Prevention, a podcast of VASA. I am James Mazza, the Coalition Coordinator for VASA. And if you aren't familiar with us, we are a community coalition that researches and implements strategies related to substance use and misuse. VASA is a program of VOICE, which is a nonprofit here in McLennan County that teaches critical life skills to children and families. Today, I am privileged to welcome Chief Jim Devlin of the Hewitt Police Department. So, Chief Devlin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got started in law enforcement? Well, I mean, that's a pretty interesting journey. Um, I've been an officer since uh, late of 1994. Um, I started in the Dallas area. Um, you know, very busy community. Uh, had an opportunity for a ton of experience. Uh, have worked um, narcotics, traffic enforcement, commercial motor vehicle enforcement, patrol. Um, you know, just just a, a, a full-on experience for a smaller agency that, that not a lot of people get an opportunity to. But fortunately, I promoted very quickly, um, which gave me the opportunity to land here in Hewitt uh, and ultimately become the chief there. So, um, you know, I, I don't say that I'm the best, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of experience doing quite a bit of stuff. That's that's awesome. So uh, you talked about narcotics, and that's kind of one of the reasons why we're here today is to talk a little bit about uh, prescription drug use, um, specifically in um, McLennan County. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about um, what law enforcement defines as kind of a prescription drug and maybe go into, you know, where that starts to get illicit? Well, you know, a uh, prescription drug is pretty much uh, anything that's going to be prescribed by a provider, right? When we um, start to see it on the law enforcement side, it, it somewhat changes and falls within a penalty group of controlled substances. And there's four of those penalty groups uh, throughout the state of Texas. So depending upon what the drug is or the controlled substance is uh, and the weight uh, or, or how many you have depend, depends upon the penalty. A lot of the prescription drugs that we run across usually fall within the penalty group two. We do have some that fall across into penalty group one, which is the highest um, uh, penalty group, which you know provides the most fines, the most jail time. Um, but, but a lot of it falls in penalty group too. So, um, and, and there's some other you know, laws in the health and safety code where if you don't have the, the prescription label on the, on the bottle, uh, but you just have the pills, um, there's the potential there that could be fallen. You could fall under possession, dangerous drug, um, you know, having them loose in your pocket, same thing. So, I mean, you know, again, the prescription as it, as it's given out, 
you know, that's kind of the license for you to have it and be in possession of it. But you, there's a requirement that you have that label there. It's in your name. Um, and, and you, and basically you have to, but that's the proof as to that is your prescription and that you are allowed to have that. When we start talking about, um, you know, controlled substances, when we start talking about opiates or we start talking about painkillers or something along those lines, that's when it becomes very important. You know, when, when we're talking about, you know, an antihistamine that may be prescribed by a doctor, you know, or, you know, we're not so concerned with that, but technically, yes, it still could fall under that, that penalty of not being specifically marked. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. I never knew um, that if you had a pill bottle without a prescription label, that you could get in trouble for that. Yeah. I, that that's that's f- completely fascinating. So that kind of brings me to this question. What happens if I get pulled over um, and I test positive for another person's prescription? Say, uh, for instance, um, kind of how we were talking about um, opioids. Say, for instance, I, I took a painkiller um, from my mom mm-hmm. and I get pulled over and you guys do some blood work um, and find out that I tested positive. Um, for that. What, what, what comes along with that? Well, you know, if you're operating a vehicle specifically in Texas, um, you know, you would fall under DWI or DUI. Um, but you know, when we start talking about prescription medication, it brings out a whole nother uh, issue. It's not your traditional driving while intoxicated. You know, when we start talking about DWI, we think alcohol, right? Um, we're in the process and even Hewitt, because we're even a smaller community where we have officers and specifically one sergeant that's a drug recognition expert which is a, a completely different, long, extended course, one of the hardest courses in, in Texas law enforcement to get certified in because this has been such an emerging problem over the last uh, two decades um, where we're finding individuals that may be intoxicated operating motor vehicles, but it's not alcohol, it's prescription medication, or it may be um, illegal substances. So there's a whole there's a whole other level to this thing, um, but... To basically answer your question, if, if you are caught, um, you know, you're looking at um, uh, driving while intoxicated charges. Um, if you have it on you, um, there's the, the, the potential for possession, specifically if you're not prescribed that medication. Um, and then ultimately it may, it may or could evolve into the person that provided you the medication um, could be held accountable, depending upon what happens. So, you know, let's say you had a, a traffic crash, right? And ultimately it's because you were given this painkiller or an opioid by a, a family member. Um, there's potential issues there as well. So, I mean, you know, that family member could be held accountable for that by providing that to you. That's, that's fascinating. So what you're saying is that even if my mom gave it to me, um, you know, out of goodwill and I ended up maybe getting in an accident, I could get in trouble and my mom could get in trouble for that. Potentially, yes. I mean, I, it depends on how far, like, the, the district attorney would take it. Specifically you, yes. You, 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 the individual, because you took it and performed the action, yes, you would be held accountable. But I could see, and, and, and we're seeing cases, and there are cases actually here in McLennan County where we've had overdoses that have resulted in a death due to illegal narcotics, not, not so much the prescribed narcotics but illegal narcotics where they have actually gone after the person that gave the narcotics or dealt the narcotics to the individual that caused the death and they've charged them with murder. That's intense. Yeah. Um, so what are kind of the fines? Uh, and I know we kind of talked a little bit about uh, DWI or DUI. What are, what are kind of some of the fines or maybe imprisonment um, that are associated? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're very far and wide. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it really kind of depends upon, you know, what, 
what the circumstances behind it. So you can go anywhere from uh, deferred adjudication to prison. So in between that whole that whole line there, uh, depending upon <laughs> prior actions, you know, and that's district attorney stuff. That's that's the prosecutor. We're the enforcement side of it, but. You know, the law is, is pretty clear, um, you know, and, and again, it can fall anywhere within there, depending upon the penalty group that you have of the of the narcotic or the prescription drug. Um, and depending upon how much you have determines the, the, the amount of fines and or time that you could potentially get. Penalty group one is always going to be uh, the the most prominent. Those are your those are your illegal narcotics. And we start talking about cocaine and and things of that nature. Uh, anywhere from 180 days to two years in jail, $10,000 fine. Um, but you can go maximum to life imprisonment if you have more than 400 grams of it and a $300,000 fine. Uh, penalty group, you know, we start talking about uh, two. We start talking about LSD, ecstasy, MDA, MDA MA, PCP, uh, mushrooms. You know, you're talking about 180 days to two years uh, for less than one gram. Maximum sentence could be life imprisonment for 400 grams or more. Um, penalty group three, opioids or opiates, not listed in penalty group one because, you know, we have heroin, which is, is technically is an opiate. But when we this is where, where we're going to start talking about prescription medication. Um, you know, you're still talking about 180 days, two years, fi- fine up to 10,000, maximum of life sentence. And, and, and those um, penalties, and then for, penalty group four, same thing, opiates that are not in penalty group one, nor are they in penalty group three. Uh, so you're still looking at um, similar to those for penalty, two, two to uh, 108 days to two years, up to life in prison, depending on the match. And when we start talking about life in prison, you know, we're talking about manufacturing. You know, we're talking about operations, you know, things that you, um, you know, high level dealers, you know, they have a lot and a, a large quantity of this. Um, but, you know, you're also talking, and those are the penalty groups, but then you start looking at some of the, the, the pill, the, the, you know, the doctors, that allow the the doctor shoppers or the pharmacists that allow you know are helping. We've we've seen DEA come in and really hammer uh, some of those pharmacists because they know what they're doing. Uh, and there's plenty of cases up in the Dallas area. I know I've got a couple of friends that are on a DEA task force up there, and they they were working that quite a bit here. You know, about five years ago, and it was kind of scary the amount of doctors and pharmacists that they were arresting because because obviously they were making money off of this and and they were just feeding other people's addiction so that that was uh, that's the other end of it you know so we're not talking about the necessarily the person on the street because because you know they're they're the end user it's got to come from somewhere so especially when you start talking about prescription medication uh particularly stuff that is that's given out well that that comes from somewhere so you know you got to be very mindful that um there, there's there's some greed involved in this business, you know. So you, you have some higher level folks that I think are, are involved. So you know you, you just got to figure out where this stuff is coming from. But but what we generally see, that's not where we're seeing it. There there are other places that it comes from. Well, and that kind of makes me wonder. You know, what age do you typically see people start to get involved in prescription drug misuse? Well, it's it's. Um, Young adults, teens and young adults is really where it starts to begin. Um, I think a lot of it is becomes experimentation and then then it comes it develops. Um, you know, so the question usually begins well or, or is asked, well, where does it come from? Well, it, it comes from us. You know, we we as 
parents and adults, we're usually the, uh, the the largest provider of this because it's sitting in the house. It's prescribed medication. You know, there's a it's a little bit of a difference. It's not you know it's not cocaine that you have in your medicine cabinet, but it could be hydrocodone that you have sitting in there in a bottle that you were prescribed. Um, and you know, I. I was the same way. You know, I've been prescribed that type of medication. I've taken it for a while because it, it relieved the pain, but I don't complete the entire bottle. And when I start feeling better, I just leave it in there. And so, uh, you know, I, I realized very early on in my career, well, you know, I mean, this is this is stuff I'm finding on the street. It's sitting here in my, my medicine cabinet, um, you know, the cough syrup with codeine, um, that type of stuff. So uh, that's a lot of where people are getting it from. And... You know, so they get at that and they you know, potentially share with their friends. And at that age, there's experimentation with it. Um, and, and that's that's really where it comes from. You're not they're not on a seedy corner um, buying it from some drug dealer in a trench coat. A lot of this comes out of our own medicine cabinets. Where do we typically find access to illegal prescription drugs? Because kind of like you said, you know, Oftentimes, these are prescribed to somebody specifically, so it's not like we're just going out to a corner um, and asking somebody, hey, man, do you have any prescription drugs for sale? Right, and I think that's where it starts. I mean, it's definitely from the medicine cabinet, you know, in in our own homes. Um, Specifically with the opiates, once somebody becomes addicted, which we, you know, we know very well that how, how that addiction flows. I mean, it's very quickly. Um, then, then I think it transitions into them starting to search for and find, uh, the, the type of drug they're taking specifically opiates because they, they just really can't function without it. So, so I think you start with the medicine cabinet in our own homes, um, or maybe friends homes. Um, but then they, then they seek out, uh, that medication when they can't get it or, or it has the, the addiction has grown beyond what may be in the home. So the, so they're out, uh, in places trying to find it, um, you know, uh, they'll they'll make those connections as to who has it, and they'll try to buy it. Um, and, and but those but those individuals that are selling it, I believe they're getting them from the same place. You know, they're getting from medicine cabinets, um, <clears throat> potentially nursing homes. I mean, the, these are offenses that I'm thinking about that we that I have worked in or dealt with, where you know we've even had home burglaries where the only thing that's taken is prescription medication. Um, nursing homes, not not in anything in particular, uh, but if we've worked some cases where me- medication has come up missing. Uh, and, and there's a lot of checks and balances there, you know, just like at a hospital, um, signed off, you know, DEA licenses, things of that nature. So those are actually pretty easy to work, but but still it happens. I mean, if, if you're going to feed the addiction, they'll find a way to get it. Well, and it's actually fascinating um, that you talk about home burglaries um, because I was actually informed about a week ago that a trend is a lot of people are going on uh, open houses and they're going, you know, to visit houses that are for sale. Well, and a lot of times if you're selling your house, you don't think, oh, well, you know, I need to put up my medicine. But what's happening is these people are going in to these open houses and they're raiding the medicine cabinets, which I found absolutely fascinating because it's something you would never think of. No, you wouldn't. And and then that instance, you just think, you know, okay, I just need to vacate the house. They're going to come and check it out. But you know, uh, criminals are, are uh, uh, somewhat smart. I mean, that's that's a uh, you know, and especially as an, an addict. You know, if you're going to get, if you're going to try to get, you're going to do anything you can to try to get it. And you know, it's a pretty easy way for an addict to get into a residence and just kind of look through the, the medicine cabinet and um, or in you know even in the bathroom. And you know, uh, we have heard of that. 
It does not surprise me in the least bit um, because they've actually done that for lesser items, you know, where a, a ring or a bracelet will end up missing. And and so, you know, I hope it doesn't happen or continue to trend, at least in my city, because then we're going to have to be policing our uh, open houses. And, uh, you know, so but, yeah, I mean, it's 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 there. So, I mean, even if you are doing that, you need to be mindful of locking that stuff up or at least hiding it in a location to where it can't be found for disposal later on. Well, and, and the way that I like to think about it, um, kind of going back to, you know, we see teenagers and, and our young adults are usually the ones that are uh, accessing prescription medication. Um, and like you said, it's because, you know, the, the kids are, you know, they see mom and dad take it. So they think, hey, maybe it's okay for me to do it. Um, and I think that it's important for parents to understand that curiosity in teenagers comes from, you know, them hearing the word no or trying to understand, well, if my friend's doing this, well, why can't I do that? Right. So it's important to have that conversation uh, as a parent, you know, talking to your kids saying, hey, I just want you to understand the reason why I'm doing this. It's, it's not because I'm trying to get high or because I enjoy the feeling, you know, it's because I'm trying to treat uh, myself medically as my doctor prescribed and just having that open and honest conversation. I find that's super important um, to, to educate our, our, our children, and our young adults as to why we're using medication. Yeah, I, I believe that it, you know education is key. Education on this topic is key. I mean, the good and the bad. And just as you said, the reason that I'm taking this is because it's prescribed to me for this this specific reason, um, you know, and, 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 you know, tell them, here's what can happen. This is a highly addictive substance. We know this. I mean, it's proven time and time again for the painkillers. So, you know, get that out front, tell your kiddos and, and, you know, tell them what ultimately can end up happening as a result of being addicted to this stuff. Cause it's very hard to come off of. Um, it's just, it's, it ends up becoming difficult. And if you can't get the prescription medication, then you'll usually transition into an illegal narcotic, which would specifically with the opiates would end up being heroin. And so, you know, it's, it's just a spiral all the way down. So yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent behind you. I believe education is the key um, to uh, people understanding this stuff. And, and you're right. It has this uh, feeling of, well, it's okay because the doctor gave it to me. So it's really not that big of a deal, but we need to understand that. Yeah. It's for that specific reason. And, and when you don't need it anymore, you need to, if you don't use it, you need to get rid of it. Number one, number two, um, you need to get off as quickly as you possibly can. And kind of going on to that same topic, you know, if, if we suspect that we see um, someone in our family member is addicted, um, or might be having problems with prescription drug use, um, what are some signs, um, and what are some ways that we can intervene in that process? Well, you know, and this is actually becoming, um, uh, I'll say not, I won't say popular, but more of an issue. Um, we'll, we'll talk, you know, law enforcement, you know, Narcan, we, we've been deploying Narcan for, you know, about the last decade or so across this country. You know, that when I started in this business, that was on the, that was on the ambulance. We, we weren't giving Narcan to anybody and we did have opioid overdoses. Um, so, you know, it's this, this whole, the whole spectrum of this has changed and, and families can get Narcan now themselves. And, uh, you know, if they have a, a suspected addict in their family, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the signs as far as use, um, and, or potential overdose, I guess would be, um, you know, dilated pupils and steady walking, you know, the general signs of intoxication, when you see that being lethargic, um, on certain types of narcotics, you know, when we start, 
um, talking about stimulants, you know, hyperactivity and, you know, all over the place, um, you know, and, you know, you can, go, you can go on YouTube or any other social media site and you can see the videos that are, uh, you know, you have the, the people that may be addicted to methamphetamine, you know, and how they act and how they're moving and it's overt, you know, and, and they just are kind of all over the place. Um, you know, so, you know, th- th- those signs are pretty key. In the home, you know, things like uh, missing valuables, you know, items like jewelry, money, um, even guns, you know, those things that come up end up missing. Because, again, this is an addict that's feeding their addiction. So they're not in their right mind and they're going to take items from you, family, to help feed the addiction, anything that they can get money for. So we find a lot of that happening, too. Um, so those are just some of the things you can look for, um, that may give you the potential that there's something going on there as far as overdose and, and, or, um, uh, issues that come up, right. Um, you know, when we start talking about ODs and if you have an Arcan, go ahead and deploy it, but you got to check their breathing, uh, see if they're awake. And, and these are things that you need to gather before you even call 911 because they're going to ask you these questions. So it becomes very important, and it's going to be a stressful situation. Just just put it out there, but um, you know, make sure that they're alert. Make sure they're breathing. Turn them on their basically on their left side. We call that the rescue position. Um, you know, if you have to begin CPR, begin CPR. Hopefully, dispatch will tell you. You know, uh, or that whoever nine one one operators will be able to tell you how to start performing CPR if you don't. Uh, but get nine one one there, right? And um, uh, they'll start an evaluation and an assess and figure out what it is, you know, if it's an opioid, then, you know, they can push Narcan or whatever, whatever other narcotic it might be. Um, we can start to begin to work that there. Um, and, and as I said, right as we started this, you know, we, we're doing this now as law enforcement, which kind of blows my mind a little bit because we didn't do that in the nineties. We didn't do it in the two thousands. You know, we waited for the fire truck and the paramedics to show up. And now because we understand uh, the necessity of intervention right away, uh, specifically with Narcan. I mean, we're, we're, we haven't deployed any yet, but it's available for us to deploy provided we run across one of these incidents. And, and at time is just, it's just going to happen. The odds are there that we're going to run across one, um, just because of the seriousness of this. And, and, and we know that it's going to occur. So we're just preparing ourselves and getting us as much information as we can to help those individuals, um, when they go into an overdose situation. So for our listeners at home, um, could you kind of explain to us how Narcan is used and kind of what Narcan affects? Like, does it affect every overdose or is there a specified overdose? Yeah, and it's specifically for opioid, opioids. So opioids or opiates. So, you know, when we start talking about heroin or any kind of opioid narcotic, that prescribed narcotic that someone might have taken, um, it, that's the only thing it works on. Now, it, it can't harm you, right? So if, if, uh, the, if you're, if you're, passed out and lethargic and you meet the signs and criteria what we believe to be an opioid overdose if we deploy narcan and it is not an opioid it's not going to harm you it doesn't do anything to you but it's only for opioids but but that seems to be what we're seeing the most of across this country um i have officers that we've hired um from out of state one particularly from kentucky um and when he came to texas he and we started talking about narcan he helped us with our narcan program but he said they, that his agency, they were deploying that two and three times a week. So it, it, we know that it's there. We know that it's out. I'm, I'm pretty sure larger communities um, throughout Texas 
are, are dealing with much more than we are. Um, I know one large entity here in McLennan County, I, I've heard them several times deploy Narcan and save some folks. So, you know, it's there. It, it, we're going to run across it. Odds are it's just going to happen. So when you do deploy it, it's uh, what we have is it's a nasal spray. Basically, we go through a training process a couple hours, um, you know, stick in the navel, nasal cavity, give it, give it a couple shots, um, and then basically wait for that individual to start to come back. It reverses uh, the opioid um, uh, process. So it turns it back around and, and they're not going to feel very well when they do wake up headaches, they'll be sick, nauseated, et cetera, on and on, but they'll be alive. And, and I think that's important. They right. will be alive. And that's, that's the best thing about Narcan is that it works very fast. Right. Right. Um, so kind of talking about overdosing, um, where do kids go to use prescription drugs? Where are youth and young adults going to engage um, and I know that you said that they get them from the home. Are they using them at the home? You know, where where do you find that the youth and young adults are using prescription medication? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's a specific place that they go. It's not like they go out into a field or somewhere, you know. Um, like, I guess like we used to when we have a, a, a kegger or beer bashes back in, back in the day. But, um, you know, I think they're just using them whenever they have opportunity. I mean, we've we found it in the schools. We have found it. Um, in the neighborhoods on the streets, um, you know, we've, we've just found it everywhere. So, um, I, I think that they, they, when they have it, they start to use it and, or abuse it. Um, it just becomes, you know, just like anything else, uh, it's hidden, but it could be in the home, could be in the bathroom, could be on their way to school, could be in the bathroom at the school, could be anywhere. Um, you know, so there's not a specific place. That's why it's important to go back and as a parent. Uh, especially for a teen or a young adult, is to you know really stay on top of your kids. You know, cell phone usage, um, behavior, a combination of all these things, items missing in the home. You need to really pay attention to that stuff. Um, and then if it does, if it is happening, you need to question it, and you need to get involved. You need to get involved right away because there are a ton of resources that are out there that can assist parents and families with getting people over this and through this. Well, and, and it's important that you mentioned, you know, cell phone usage because um, I recently read a report about um, a teenager that was buying prescription drugs through this uh, Snapchat, mm -hmm. their app on Snapchat, which apparently you can search or you can, you know, send your friends recommendations. And this is how um, a lot of these kids are kind of getting involved in the prescription um, misuse network is they're, right. they're, they're contacting each other say, Oh, Hey, um, I, I met this guy on Snapchat and, um, he, he's willing to sell to me, you know, here's his contact information. Right. So it's very important that we do have that conversation because a lot of times people don't understand that, you know, it does start off as, as curiosity. You know, a lot of times the kiddos will get into the prescription uh, medication at home. Um, and the, when they get past the point of using the prescription medication in the home, they go out and they have to seek um, more nefarious uh, right. neighborhoods, right. Um, which often leads to a, a lot of problems because um, come to find out, and I, I don't know how much our, our listeners at home know about this, but a lot of people that get addicted to heroin, they're given their first dosage for free. Um, and, and that is used to kind of hook these people right. onto you know the illicit substance. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why they do that, why they give out the first hit for free, kind of what comes with that? Well, I mean, there, there's a couple of, a couple of reasons. One is because they know they've got a customer. That's that's the first thing. They, they, 
you know, specifically with heroin, that's that's a substance that you're, uh, you know, very difficult to get off of. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, but the dealers can give it out, and they know they're going to have a repeat customer. And and every time you go back, they want more, and they want more, and they want more. And that's what causes this issue with the overdose, because there's a certain amount that your body's going to be willing to tolerate, um, but your tolerance has gone up, so you're going to need more of this substance. So that's what ends up creating the issues of, of um, uh, addiction. The other part of it is, is, and I think it's, you know, there's some grooming involved with it, you know, where we start... To, and again, this this is going to transcend across a bunch of different platforms. But when we start talking about human trafficking, you know, when we talk about um, prostitution, you know, a lot of these folks are are addicted to some type of substance, and and so that's an easy way to control an uh, individual for certain types of activity, you know, specifically human trafficking, uh, and or grooming for for whatever illegal uh, issue may be going on. But that that's that's an easy way in right, for the dealer or the individual to do it. And then you know that person is always going to come back. So, you know, it, it's it's very evil. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's purposeful by the bad guy for them doing that. And so, you know, people need to understand that, um, you know, when you, again, I go back to the behaviors. When you start to see this type of stuff, specifically parents and on the phones, so you mentioned Snapchat, you know, Snapchat only stays around for, I don't know, like 24 hours, 12 hours, something along those lines, you know, and it's difficult to trace. But um, you need to be looking at your kid's social media. You need to be paying attention to it, staying on top of it, because uh, I'll tell you, in my experience, some of the things that we have run across on people's phones, specifically teens, uh, it, it'd curl your hair. It's, it's, it's just crazy the amount of information they have access to. And as you said, you, you can pretty much find anything you want to on, on your, on your phone. You got your little computer right there and you can get all the, you can get whatever you want if you search hard enough. So uh, yeah, I, th I think it's, it creates that customer base and, or then turns into something else. Um, and it's, it's easier for them to, to put the, them into a, a trafficking issue or, and they'll become a dealer. Um, you know, cause the, you know, now you need, you need it. You're going to sell it to make some money. You know, it's just this, it's just this uh, revolving door, and so it, it's it leads to a whole host of other issues and across law enforcement for us for Dankshire. Yeah, and and so what I'm really hearing from you is that it's it's no longer the you know the scary guy in the bad neighborhood in the trench coat you know at night that people are going to. It's their friends, yep. you know, and, and they're getting that through a lot of the social media access, and that's. That's kind of what I'm hearing is that we need to be more diligent about having that conversation about knowing where our kids are going, knowing, you know, who our kids are hanging out with. And I'm not saying to go out there and cyber sleuth everybody, but, you know, having that conversation with your kids and saying, hey, you know, if you're ever in a bad situation or if you're curious about stuff, you know, you need to be able to have that conversation with your kiddos. Because if you're not having that conversation, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, kids are curious. Right. They're going to they're going to find out some way. And if you're if you're not telling them that someone will. Someone else will tell them, right, and or get them involved in it. And, you know, I'm as a parent um, of a a, a a young adult and a teen and a, and a small one. I have those conversations with them, you know, and and yeah, they don't they. It's dad, you know, and he's the chief, and you know, he's, he ends up just being a pain, which you know you can imagine. My kids are probably just beside themselves, but it's a legitimate conversation because if we're if my wife and I are not telling them this information, somebody else is going to. And if it and it potentially could be the wrong information that would bring them into the fold of this. So, 
you know, I want to get it out there and tell them, hey, these are the bad things that happen. I'm telling you. And so uh, when we when we have those hard conversations and my children roll their eyes or young adult and, and teenager rolls their eyes, it's just part of it. But that's my responsibility as a parent to be involved in their activity. I, I'm not I'm not on them 24 seven. And, you know, as a couple of the helicopter parent, I'm not that. But <laughs> I, I have to inform them to give them the right information so they can make the correct decisions in this world. And so I, I spent a lot of time doing that based on based on my job and the experience that I've had. So to me, it's vitally important between my wife and I to make sure that they have the best information going forward. And so when we talk about, you know, educating our teens, uh, something else that we can do is being involved in, you know, being responsible with our medications. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like you were talking about previously, uh, you had a medication that you'd use, but you hadn't used the whole um, bottle. So you just kind of forgot about it at one point. So we've seen that uh, we have this thing coming in on October 23rd, uh, National Drug Take Back Day. Right. And I know that you guys are very big proponents of that. We are. So uh, kind of tell me a little bit about what you guys see on National Drug Take Back Day. How does it work? How can people come and uh, drop off their prescription meds if, if they have spares at home? Yeah, the, you know, this is this is something that's been around for a while. Um, we we do it a little differently um, in Hewitt because it's, it's such an issue that we've run across. Um, it's for over-the-counter um, uh, Drugs. It's also for narcotics or prescription medication that may be you that you were issued or, or prescribed and you haven't finished. Uh, we take it, and uh, bottom line is we we collect it um, at the end of the period, at the end of the national drug take back. We take it to the DEA. They destroy it, right? So it's not in the it's not in the the the, the community. Number one, number two, it's not in the water system because when we start talking about it, um, what traditionally it happens, people just flush it down the toilet. Well. I'm not, I'm not the water department, but I, what I have found out is that contaminates the water system and it takes much more refinement to get that stuff out of the water. So you, you can't have that. So um, we actually run our program for at least a week. We Drug take back is one day. Uh, we run it for a week because we want to get as much as we can um, off and out of, or actually out of people's homes, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, into our collection boxes to be destroyed. Uh, because we know that we are the largest provider. We, we as adults and parents are the largest providers of this stuff. Knowing that this is not a seedy individual they have to go find, that it's parents and aunts and uncles that have this stuff, we, we want to get rid of it as much as we can. Um, and we see a lot. We, we see quite a bit of, of, of medication come in. Um, we even have it to where, um, you know, family members have had, had – uh, parents that maybe have passed away due to cancer. Now we're not, the, you know, those are prescription medications and they're usually not regularly abused, but some of the medications that those individuals have are very potent high. I mean, and, and you can't really get rid of them. So that becomes the, that becomes the, the main issues why we do drug take back. We try to do it quarterly. Of course, it's based on the federal government and some of the things that they've got going on. So during COVID we, we had to miss a few of them. Um, but, but it's important to take that medication out of the homes um, and get it destroyed so it doesn't go anywhere else. Um, we usually will get anywhere between uh, two to 500 pounds of unused medication, over-the-counter and prescription. Um, this year, we're also taking um, vape pens, but you got to remove the battery, which, you know, again, that's very important to, to, to some of the parents. You know, when you find these things, 
um, <clears throat> and you're taking from the kid. There's just, I guess my my main issue with it, and I, I love the drug take back, but my main issue is that it's only certain times of the year. There's really not a whole lot of places to get rid of prescription meds because throughout the year we will have uh, members of the community come in and say, hey, I've got this. What do I do with it? And I got to tell them, hey, just lock it up somewhere, hold on to it, come back October with the date or whatever, and we'll put it in the box and get rid of it. There are some places that, um, some CVSs that have drop-off boxes, but they're few and far between. Um, I believe the Belton Police Department has one in their lobby. I'm trying to get one for our lobby, so we have it all the time. You know, So even when we have drug take back, we can collect this stuff, this medication, we can uh, tag it, put it in evidence, and then when the day comes to send it to DEA, we, we take everything we've collected and we destroy it. It's a very popular event. Um, <clears throat> if you have medication that you're trying to get rid of, I, I seek one of these out. Now, for us, you don't have to be a Hewitt resident. You can be anybody. We're, we, we don't care. We just want to get rid of it. So it's not that you have to live in our community, <clears throat> um, but we're not the only ones that do it. You know, every, There are multiple agencies throughout McLennan County that participated in this event. Um, and, and but if you can't make it to that that particular law enforcement agency or area to drop it off, come by. I will take it. I just it's more it's it's more important for us to get that off the street than worrying about whether you live on a certain street in in Hewitt, Texas. And, and I think that something important to note about all that is that the privacy that's involved with that. Nobody's going to be standing there asking you, okay, well, where did you get this? No. Or you know, what's your name? Or why no. do you have these medications? It, it's purely coming from you know solidarity. We want to get the community together. We want to act together. We want to help cut down on, you know, this prescription drug crisis that's going right. on. Um, so that's super important for all of you listeners at home that nobody's going to question why you're there. It, it's purely coming from, you know, love and support. Um, anybody who's involved in drug take back day is there because they care and they want to help make their community better. Yeah. I mean, even with us, you'll you probably get a hello from our, our record supervisor. Um, we don't stay in the lobby. It's just a box. You just come in and drop it and leave. We, you know, we'll, we'll take it. And, um, you know, of course there's things you can't put in, you know, uh, and, and you can, we'll put the list once we, once we get the date set, we'll put the list out on our social media and get it out there. And for the certain items that we will not take, uh, syringes are, are one. We're, we're trying to figure out a solution for syringes, um, and what to do with those. But yeah, again, you're not going to be we're not even going to talk to you. I mean, I like to talk to people, but we're not going to be in the lobby waiting for you. You just come in, put it in the box, and you're on your way. We'll, we'll At the end of the day, we go and pick it up and uh, lock it up and then put the next box out there for the next day. And so are there any other events or volunteer opportunities or programs that are going on um, in McLennan County or specifically in Hewitt that you would like to tell our listeners about? Uh, I, for one, am, am a big fan of coffee with a cop. All right. uh, I like to try to go out there uh, and have my cup of coffee and kind of interact with you guys and see what's going on in the community. So is there anything you'd like for us to know about? Uh, well, you know, I mean, COVID, <laughs> I hate the word. I even hate to talk about COVID. COVID has made such an impact on uh, some of our community policing events um, where we're just, we hadn't been able to have them. We thought we were coming out of uh, the tunnel, but now we're back to where we're having to very be very mindful of what we're doing. Uh, Coffee with a cop, uh, we will have we will host those. We're going to try to bring more of those back. Uh, successful event, you know, for us in the city of Hewitt, and and there are other agencies that run them. If you live in a community that's doing Coffee with a Cop, go by because you get to meet the officers, get on one to one one to one basis with them, and just kind of talk about what's going on in your community. Um, National night out, and again we. 
our big national light out event that we normally have um, kind of got messed up because our, our planning phases begin in January. And uh, if you remember back to January 2021, where we were at in the uh, in this county as far as the COVID mandate. So we had to scrap it and change it a little bit. We're doing some block parties. But we are going to talk about uh, maybe kicking it to October and actually run our big event in October versus having it in August, which might be nice because it won't be so hot. Um you know, so you know, those those events are going to be uh, fantastic. Of course, you said you mentioned already we've got uh, the prescription take back in October. Um, we should have a Citizens Police Academy starting back up uh, again, um, and and it will be the real one. I know those those that may be listening that have went to the last CPA, we had to cut some things out again because of COVID. But we should be able to bring those events, the driving, the 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 going to the gun range, that type of stuff. You know. Um, you know, I'm going to give a, a shout out to Waco PD. You know, they're doing their back to school event, their drive actually that's taking place uh, where they're, they're providing the backpacks and school supplies for the kiddos. So, you know, if you uh, have an opportunity to drop something off at Waco PD, you know, be sure to do that because that's that's very important. Um, you know, and, and, and just just search the pages of, of your local law enforcement and or cities and find the events show up. We, we we love to have people come out and be part of the community. We love to network with our folks. I mean, obviously, uh, for me, for community policing, we need your input. We need you as the citizen to tell us what you want us to do. So uh, we're always willing to to visit with folks, and we want everyone to come out and, uh, you know, talk to us about the issues that they see as important in the community. Um, and, you know, again, I think it's pretty evident that the topic we're talking about for us is very important because if we can take – one prescription medication off the street and out of the hands of somebody, then, then we've won. Then we've actually, we've, we've 100% won. And so we're, before we wrap up, uh, Chief Devon, I, where can the community get in contact with Hewitt PD if they have questions about, you know, prescription drugs or the community or what's going on? Where can they get in contact with you guys? Um, you can you can definitely call us. Um, you know, it's uh, 254-666-1661. That rings right in the dispatch, and if you ask for me, you actually get to talk to me. I'm, I'm one of those chiefs I actually get to visit with on the phone. Um, through our social media pages, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, you can send us a message. Um, we just started a TikTok channel. I don't necessarily know how all that works. I'm, you know, I'm almost going to be 50, but I'm trying to figure that out. So, um, or, or just come by. I mean, we're staffed 24-7. There's always somebody there. Um, all the officers and staff can answer questions about drug take back and what's all involved in that. Doesn't need to be Monday through Friday eight to five. So if you have work at six and you got questions, and you want to just stop in the lobby. Come on in. They can they can answer the questions. So we're very easy to get a hold of. So you know all you got to do is get on your phone and Google it. You'll find a multiple amount of ways to get a hold of us. And, and that's awesome. And just to kind of speak to what you were just saying. I actually called the Hewitt Police Department and was able to speak directly to you, right. which I thought was amazing right. um, that you took the time out of the day to come here and do this podcast with me and that you were available you know, for phone calls and questions. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you, Chief Devlin. Uh, thank it. you for being here. Um, and I appreciate all your information. And our, I, I promise our listeners at home are getting a great education. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I appreciate you. you and thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to our listeners for joining us. If you want to learn more about Voice, VASA, or today's guests and their programs, look for the links in the show notes. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can send us an email at jmaza at voiceinc.org. That's J-M-A-Z-Z-A at voiceinc.org. 
if you have a topic or guest that you would like for us to discuss. Thank you for listening and have a positive day. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.